AVXL episode 175 was re-recorded on March 30th, 2022. Finally, we got prices on 2022 LG TVs, hybrid log gamma calibration fun, new calibration mics from Odyssey for Den and Marantz AVRs, quite a bit of streaming news, and so much more. Do us a favor, if you got a question about home theater and audio, email ask at avxl.com. And thank you, thank you, really thank you, to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make this podcast possible. Testing, one, two, three. All right, I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll talk about noise cancellation later in the episode, but I just want to say noise-canceling headphones make long drives in diesel trucks missing their interiors significantly less traumatic. Um. <laughs> Good for tire noise, too, in those oh my giant wheels. I was in a bit of a bind because week 10 days ago, I had uh, a whole bunch of middle ear pressure and it wasn't an infection. So they put me on steroids, which drained the, the middle ear and removed the pressure on the eardrum and the, the tinnitus like ringing went away, which I'm very excited about, but I was nervous about that clearing before I climbed on the airplane because a, a good friend of mine went onto an airplane with a ear infection and blew out his eardrum ow uh, that just yes sounds uh, incredibly painful i was a little nervous and then uh you know they gave me the script for the steroids which was always kind of surreal like am i gonna they're like well you might be a little agitated like, great anti-inflammatories uh, baby they can do oh i i had i had been jamming prodigious amounts of anti-inflammatories and they were not touching the swelling in my ear in any ah. case my hearing's uh my hearing is good. The swelling is has been gone for several days, and uh, you know the nice thing about active noise cancellation is it makes things less loud to your ears, so you don't permanently damage it. Um, which is something uh, an acquaintance of mine who worked in a server farm, where I guess the ambient noise inside of there was upwards of 95 dB because of all the fans running, and that's when he started using. Uh, he used ANC earbuds under a big set of over-the-ear muffs to uh, reduce the damage or minimize the possibility for damage going to his eardrums. But uh, good protection, but not ideal for your situation. Too that's well, that's overkill <laughs> for if you're driving. You should not be driving around with earplugs in <laughs> unless you absolutely <laughs> have to. <laughs> Well, you could argue whether or not you could hear anything over the engine noise uh, oh, that's without plugs, but I hear you. If you have thoughts on this, please email <laughs> ask at avxl.com, especially if you're in law enforcement and have something uh, thoughtful to add. Um, so we've been waiting for the prices. We've been waiting for more details. And you have a dog pile of information on the new 2022 LG OLED TVs. They have arrived. They have. Some have arrived. Uh, We'll get into it right now. (laughs) Now, we're talking about their 4K and even 8K OLED TVs for 2022, and LG Electronics is bringing back a few of the favorites, including their Gallery Edition. That's the G Series. This will be the G2. This and the C2 are part of their OLED 
Evo TV series that includes a little extra features and panel performance. Now, across the line, I'm just looking at everything. And what jumped out to me immediately is that if you're thinking of going 8K OLED this year, it's expensive. We're talking well in excess of 2x the cost over an equivalently sized 4K panel. And if you look at their largest 88-inch model for the 8K OLED for 2022, it's 88 inches, and that's not the same size they're offering in terms of, say, their G or C series, which offer 83-inch options. I would say those are just unique things they're getting out there just to say they kind of have it. People are going to be focused on things like the G and the C series for overall performance. Now, I mentioned that LG described some of its 2022 OLED lineup as this OLED Evo technology, but there are some technical differences in any of their TVs this year that are going to be branded with that moniker. Now, for the A and the B series coming out this year, they are not part of that OLED Evo family, and they are not going to be using the very latest panels and processing, but they deliver a good value, including support for formats like HDR and Dolby Vision. In particular, the A2 is going to be a 60Hz 4K experience, and the B2 will bump that up to 120Hz. And when we look at the C2 and the G2, that's where things, to me at least, get a little more interesting. LG Display introduced that OLED EX panel technology back at CES in January that utilizes deuterium compounds that will improve not only color purity, but effectively the longevity of how long these materials can last as well. At least that's what they're claiming. And LG Electronics has mentioned that it will be transitioning all of its OLED TV manufacturing to this new panel technology sometime this year. And if you combine that new panel, that OLED EX technology, with some optimized pixel processing, you're going to get something what LG calls a brightness booster feature. Now, all of the G2 or the Gallery Edition TVs will feature brightness booster in addition to a heat dissipation technology that they are dubbing as a combo brightness booster max. Now, that should provide the best OLED picture performance of 2022. I have not seen any of these in the wild yet. We'll check back for performance and measurements on those at some other point in the near future. However, looking at the C2 series TVs, 55 inches and larger, they are listed with just regular brightness booster as a checkbox feature. Looking at the 42-inch and the 48-inch C2 models, they do not list brightness booster as a feature at all. Now, one of my favorite TV reviewers, Mr. Vincent Teo, over on the HD TV Test YouTube channel, managed to acquire a 42 and a 48-inch LG C2 TV through retail channels, not actually hand-selected from a manufacturer, which is very nice. When he tested both of these TVs, he found that they produced similar picture quality despite some technical panel differences. When he used his spectral tools and measured the panels, he found that the 48-inch was actually using the new OLED EX technology, but not the 42 inch. That tells me that, well, if LG is eventually transitioning everything over to this OLED EX panel tech, eventually that 42 inch panel is going to get that upgrade as well. It just didn't have it, at least on this initial first batch, you could say. And like I mentioned earlier, we're going to have to wait and see how this brightness booster max with the heat dissipation technology will make the G2 stand out from the C2, if at all. I think it will. I think it will enable greater brightness levels and already excellent performance. But 
In the end, just keep in mind that if you are looking for the best picture performance from an LG C2 lineup right now, I would stick to that 55 inch and larger screen size. So you incorporate at least the brightness booster feature that gives you the hmm. little extra punch. And I can't wait to actually see the measurements on these as well. It seems to me that the 42 and the 48 inch will not produce as much light output as the 55 inch and larger C2 models. That just seems to be the way it's going to be, even if eventually we have this little bit of confusion about what exactly the panels are being used within the 42 right. and the 48 inch lineup. For me, it's LG's just said, you know what, while we're in the middle of this transition, we'll make sure that the 42 and the 48 at least that do not feature brightness booster will at least look similar regardless of the panel type. And I can't wait for more reviews. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. I thought it was interesting that uh, Mr. Vincent Teo found that there were not the sim the picture quality was similar between the deuterium enhanced panel and the non deuterium enhanced panel. Um, I also thought it was interesting looking at the whole. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of marketing names in here, right? Because you've got the OLED Evo family, but not all of the OLED Evo family use OLED EX panels inside of them. Exactly. Um, it's a <laughs> bit of confusion, at least at the smallest, most popular screen sizes. Right. And in the case of the C2, I didn't mention it earlier, but that has an MSRP of $14.99 available this month. And the 42-inch model is scheduled. Well, people already have it in hands, at least in the European environment. Here in North right. America, it looks like it's going to have a $1,400 price tag, $13.99, and be available next month. And or even maybe even a little bit longer than that. They're they're showing May actually for the arrival here in North America. But that one hundred dollar price difference between the forty two mm -hmm. and the forty eight is something else to keep in mind. There's clearly a premium being attached to the forty two inch panel, even though it doesn't feature the latest and greatest panel tech. Uh, I think that size is because of its popularity with people wanting it for PC use or even you know. Just a, a portable OLED experience. The smallest OLED of the best quality so far. I am just hoping that at least with the 55-inch and larger panels mm -hmm. in the C2 lineup, that there will be not only the appreciable brightness boost from the brightness booster technology, but right. hopefully some differences in taking better advantage of that new EX panel tech and perhaps providing even better coverage of, say, DCI P3 color. That's used in our 4K content nowadays. It'd be interesting to see I'm something. Waiting on the measurements. <laughs> you you mentioned earlier the the pricing. Just to kind of reemphasize this, I want to call back the to the the 8K OLED TV stuff. So, for perspective, right, the G2 series 77 inch G2 OLED TV four thousand dollars. The 77 inch C2 series OLED TV 77 inch. $3,500. If you go up to 83 inches, the C2 series is $5,500. And the uh, G2 series OLED TV is $6,500. Now, so basically you're talking about, you know, $3,500 to about $6,500 from 77 inch C2 to 83 inch G2 series, right? The 77 inch 8K OLED TV is $13,000. And the 88 inch, which admittedly is larger than 83 inches, is $25,000. And I looked at that and all I could think of was, was, you know, okay, that's 
a big TV. I all I could think of was like in terms of 4K to 8K, you could sit closer to it. Is there any other particular advantage to going from 4K to 8K other than bragging rights at this point? Because there's not really any native 8K content out there. No, and if you also notice as well that they're not listed under the OLED Evo family, so it remains to be seen exactly what panels these are. Uh, The 8K is referencing the Z series, Z or Zebra, uh, Z2, and that 88-inch and 77-inch, I think, are almost carryovers from last year. However, again, LG has stated that they are transitioning everything they can as quickly as possible to that new panel tech. And yeah, if you want to make the jump from the C series to the G series for this year, in the larger screen sizes, it's about a $500 price premium as far as right. the MSRP pricing goes across the board. And I'm, again, very curious to see how that heat dissipation technology translates into you know improved pixel performance. I think LG is positioning the gallery series really as like the best thing they've put out that can compete against someone like Sony in terms of absolute picture quality. Those reviews, I wait with bated breath. (laughs) I'll uh, I'll talk about it next week. I'm I'm giggling because I'm looking at uh, Sony's chart for the minimum viewing distance for 4K and 8K versus uh, standard HD TVs. I'll give you a hint. They they are perfectly okay with you sitting alarmingly close to your television. <laughs> I've dealt with gigantic 1080p TVs, like well in excess of 80 inches, and I've dealt with 4K TVs well in excess of 80 inches. I'll tell you that jump from 1080p to 4K was significant. It it made yeah. those super large screens so much easier to sit closer to. Yeah, clearly 8K isn't quite ready for the masses yet. Hence. These two highly priced models or prized models, I will say, that are there as options, but maybe aren't delivering right. the absolute performance. If you want a 97-inch G2, you're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. That 4K to 8K jump, it's going to cost you a lot in OLEDville right now compared to yeah. LCDville. I was just envisioning sitting like four and a half feet from a 75-inch monitor. That's the minimum viewing distance range that Sony recommends. 1.4 meters, 4.6 feet for a 75-inch television. Uh, 1.6 meters, 5.25 feet for an 85-inch television. Hey, if I've got that at the end of the bed and I'm just laying there, I want my whole <laughs> field of view taken up. <laughs> yeah, That's a big be, My head would be blocking the projector if I was sitting that close to my screen. Shifting gears to the streaming side of things, uh, it's really simple. Disney Plus has removed all mention of Netflix in Daredevil and Jessica Jones and all of the other original Marvel Netflix shows. Uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Defenders, The Punisher. So those have all left Netflix. And as of the 16th of this month, they're up on Disney Plus. And uh, they just they just made the, the references to Netflix disappear from the opening credits. Um, that seems kind of I an thought that was odd amazing. edit to me. I mean, would anyone actually change, like, say, a studio's intro logo at the beginning of a movie? I, I don't think so. I don't think people would be going to that much trouble. But clearly, yeah. <laughs> don't mention our competition. <laughs> Make it disappear. Make it disappear now. (laughs) They had nothing to do with that. (laughs) Nothing to do with that. Stare into the light. Screen Rant found uh, MC Direct's post on this where it's, uh, they show you, you know, 
the Netflix original series part is just gone. You know, I, I just I thought it was amusing, uh, petty, amusing, typical, funny. I don't know. It just amused me to see that. Uh, not so amusing um, is that you can no longer buy or rent content on the Android Apple TV app. If I was feeling more generous, I could say this is kind of amusing. Given there's a large lawsuit between, you know, the, the, the legal shenanigans between Epic and Apple over Epic not wanting to pay the 30% VIG on Apple or Google for that matter, which basically applies to anything that is purchased, you know, any app or anything that's purchased or rented through an app. Um, Daring Fireball, a.k.a. John Gruber, knitted together a whole bunch of articles around this that, that kind of sums it all up. Uh, the short version is the content battles rage on. Now the latest Apple TV app for Android TV and Google TV will no longer let you buy or rent content because apparently there was a they had a carve out uh, and that they didn't have to pay the VIG, the charge, the fee, the percentage to Google when they were selling or renting content on the Apple TV app. And that kicked in or that ended or basically they were going to have to start paying money. So they removed the ability to rent or buy content. Now, you could do it on your phone. You could do it on, you know, your Apple TV or some other device. And you could then play it back on the Android Apple TV app. You just can't, uh, you don't have the convenience of purchasing through that anymore. And you were like, why is this a big deal? And I was like, okay, in my case, it was... It was when we stopped carrying around the Apple TV because Roku added, or when we finally had an Apple TV app for Roku, then we could stream all of this content we'd purchased over the years on an Apple TV. When right. we didn't have the Apple TV and the Roku, it was convenient. But uh, I can also see where you'd be like, yeah, just plug an Apple TV into it. They're not that expensive. But uh, ah, man, they're like 150 bucks for a good one. Well, yeah. <laughs> and if you were depending on Android TV or Google TV as your app's platform, right. This is inconvenient at best. <laughs> and I'm glad to hear it's not affecting everyone. But yeah, it's just, man, when it comes to iOS versus Android in any form, it just seems <laughs> like Android's always a second-class citizen. And they're going to be the first to uh, feel the pain of any of Apple's ways. But so yeah, much pain. if you can swing it, it would be nice if Apple offered like a $50 streaming stick. But I don't believe they do. Uh, and the 4K... The 4K product from them, which is awesome, but that's, you know, 150 bucks or so for the yeah. for the one I think we have at the moment. I'm appreciative that Roku seems to be uh, probably locked into a contract where Apple can't do anything about it for a little while. But as soon as that comes up, uh, we'll probably see something similar <laughs> on that platform, too. The way things go. See waiting comma with bated breath. Mm -hmm. Um Interesting announcement from Spotify. Uh, they paid out $7 million to rights holders in 2021. That's to the people who hold the rights for recordings and, and the playback. And I don't want to get into the weirdness of uh, recording rights or how people get paid in the music industry, unless you want me to, in which case email askadvxl.com. But I didn't realize that they had put together a website last spring spring of 2021, com, And it's really interesting to look at. Because basically, you know, they're they're trying to make people aware that they do pay money because artists are really angry about the money they get for the amount of streams that happen on Spotify. And Spotify's like, we we're paying a lot of money. And the the deal with uh, in 2021, it was seven billion dollars total that was paid out 
and and they're like, look, it's more than any other service. It's up from five billion in 2020. It's up from like 3.3 billion in 2019. And I think you caught this right for the first time. Over a thousand artists generated over a million dollars on Spotify. Uh, over fifty thousand artists generated ten thousand dollars from Spotify alone. What I didn't realize is how many independent artists are, you know, either either self-published or indie artists are out there. Because I think four point two billion dollars of that seven billion dollars um, went to the majors. The other two point eight billion dollars went to uh, indie labels and, and independently produced artists. Um, I do give them credit for having this very slick website that does lay out yeah. at least their top ten in terms of the points they want to make about the data they're updating everything on based upon this yeah. 2021 royalty data. And if you're curious at all about some of that and their economy and how it works and yeah. what goes into that grinder, it's a nice read. It, it's easy to process. It's good to click through. And it does yeah. show at least that, yeah, year to year, they are dumping more and more money back to at least the artists and publishers and songwriters and how and where that money goes. Yeah, and, and I think it's one of the interesting things to look at. And I'm still digging through this because, A, it's a very visually stimulating website, so it's incredibly distracting. Um, it's kind of like a video game in that sense. And also, there's just a ton of information. Totally, including a cool section on tips for beginning songwriters and producers, too, yeah. about things you can do to maximize the platform. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, or how to crazy, avoid being right? screwed. Well, yeah, and part of it, right, is because people are like, oh, my song's been streamed, you know, 300,000 times. That's that's huge. And something I didn't realize or something I'm still kind of wrapping my head around is is streaming services like Spotify. Uh, the royalties are based on stream share, which is kind of the percentage an artist or that song does of all of the streams on the platform. And it's crazy Spotify calls it out is that 238,000 songs were streamed over a million times in 2021, which means that $7 billion gets split into a lot of very tiny pieces. It's interesting. It's an interesting website if you kind of want to look at some of the, uh, the economics behind streaming services or particularly the largest streaming service out there, loudandclear.byspotify.com. It's, uh, it's interesting stuff. Yeah. So you had talked about uh, calibrating for hybrid log gam or HLG content, and you wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit. You had a viewer ask for you to explain what was going on between HDR calibration and HLG or hybrid log gamma calibration. Well, the short story is, is that if you have a TV that's already calibrated for HDR, that HDR calibration is what the HLG content you may receive will be based upon. So you don't need a separate calibration for that. Now, cool. HLG is a convenient HDR video format that is really optimized for television broadcasters. The signal itself is backward compatible with SDR TVs. And the lack of metadata within this format means that any kind of inconsistencies you could have when you're mixing a live production are avoided. HLG was developed originally by the BBC and NHK, and it is still in use by them, of course, as well as popular sources here in North America, including DirecTV. Now, gamers have something called HGIG as a picture option on many new TVs that will allow your game content to be better optimized for individual televisions in terms of their specific performance. Uh, HGIG stands for the HDR Gaming Interest Group, 
And I would assume as well that your HDR calibration is going to be applied directly to that HGIG calibration as well, because they share things like the white point and the color palette uh, with HDR10. Now for gamers, do keep in mind that many TVs feature specific game modes that can also reduce the calibration options that are available in order to provide a faster performance to the pixel on the screen. So be sure to double check your presets for every video source you connect to an HDR TV when enabling your HDR sources, be it HLG or HGIG or any of it. Just make sure you've uh, taken a look at that picture setting and at least selected the appropriate preset, especially if you're dealing with uh, a TV that's already been calibrated for one of those modes. So much to calibrate. Yeah. Shifting gears from the video to the audio side of things, uh, Odyssey Laboratories, who do the calibration that's inside of uh, Marantz, Mini Marantz, and Den and AVRs, they have uh, just started selling individually calibrated microphones for use with their multi-EQ-X software. Uh, essentially, they look like the regular Denon microphones. They are measured by Odyssey in LA. They sell them for 80 bucks on Amazon. And like every other calibrated mic I, uh, I have, you get a code based on the serial number on the mic that allows you to enter that into an application, and it tweaks the input from the microphone based on the calibration uh, information in that file. So we mentioned uh, Multi-EQ-X back in January. It's up on the Microsoft Store. Um, it's essentially an add-on for the Multi-EQ built into a lot of Denon and Marantz AVRs. And the idea is that you have total control over your target sound. So you can customize the frequency range, total balance. You can tweak every individual speaker in the system. The other thing that Odyssey is really pushing is that it, quote, decouples the delivery of technology from the delivery of hardware, which is to say that they can update this software app on Windows faster than they can come up with a technology that is integrated into the firmware and tested in Q&A and then sent out over the interwebs to update your Denon or Marantz AVR. It'll be the first place, quote, users can experience many improvements and advancements to the multi-EQ suite of software and firmware room collection that are currently under development. So that's cool. The app is free. Sounds like something I probably want to add to my bag of tricks just to have it. So I'm going to yeah. be taking a look at that this week. There's one thing you have to be aware of, right? There's a, They give you sort of a test AVR inside the free app so you can experiment with the tools and the settings in the uh, multi-EQ-X Windows application that's sold on the Microsoft Store. But you, A, need a license for every AVR you calibrate, and B, that license is $200. So it gives you some significant and serious control, but you're spending $200 for every single AVR you're going to run this on. So That's a bit pricey. Uh, well, you know, so software development. <laughs> Through that. You know. I'm gonna keep puttering around with uh, with REW, and then at some point I'll I'll break down and and possibly buy this software to check it out. It's interesting uh, that it is Windows only though for the time being. Well, or Xbox the... apparently. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Anywho, well, it's you know a lot of Windows computers out there. One more has been busy. They just announced a couple of active noise canceling uh, in-ear or earbuds or true wireless earbuds. The One More Piston Buds Pro True Wireless Active Noise Canceling Headphones. 
That's 70 bucks a pair before a $15 discount. A 10-millimeter driver tuned by Grammy Award winner Luca Bernardi. Up to 38 dB of noise-canceling effect from One More's proprietary Quiet Max active noise-cancellation technology. 12 studio-grade EQ settings from Sonarworks, basically so you can tweak the sound to taste. Um, each earbud has a pair of mics. Uh, to do uh, uh, basically to attempt to give you a quality speaking experience when you're using them uh, to speak on the phone or Skype or whatever. Seven and a half hours of battery life. And they make sure you know this with active noise canceling off, which makes me wonder how much battery life active noise canceling on sucks down. Uh, one more says basically seven and a half hours battery life with ANC off and you get uh, 30 hours total with the charging case. Five-minute charge equals one hour listening, which is nice if you're traveling and you run out of juice. This is supposed to be the more neutral of these two earbuds. There's also the One More ComfoBuds mini wireless noise-canceling headphones. Those are $100 before the current $15 discount. Uh, I noticed that those are listed as 3.7 grams per earbud, which seems incredibly light to me. Also with the Quiet Max tech for up to 40 dB of noise cancellation. Also with two mics in each earbud, four mics total. Uh, again, tuned by a four-time Grammy Award winner. That is also Luca Bernardi. Um, they claim a powerful, balanced sound with a 7mm dynamic driver. Some of the early reviewers have suggested there's more bass in these. I'm really, really curious to see if actual frequency response or to hear myself. Uh, these have six hours of battery life. Again, noted with ANSI off. And you get like three additional charges off the case. So about 24 hours in total. Uh, in this case, 10 minutes of charging is one and a half hours of playback. And then sort of the flagship earbuds from last year, the One More Comfort Buds Pro True Wireless Headphones have dropped $30 in price. So oh, cool. a whole bunch of stuff from, from One More. I am very, very curious to hear all of these. Um, because one of uh, Wirecutter's picks for like a sub $50 earbud is a pair of Bluetooth piston bud in-ears. They're wired. They're not true wireless. But they sound shockingly, alarmingly good for the money. So I'm very, very nice. curious to see what uh, one more can do with a little bit more money for a set of in-ears. Uh, and, and, you know, we've, we've had a lot of fun with a lot of one more products over the years. Um, These look decent. There's a, as long as yeah, you don't require all day noise cancellation because apparently you're probably only getting a few hours per per device <laughs> at best yeah I'm, but I'm with quick charging the anc does the battery life. don't forget your charging case but you might have to use it every every few hours in order to keep going yeah i'm really curious to hear what these sound like um because there's there is a ton of in-ears in around that 75 to 125 dollar price point so the price is I'm right curious to hear more of them hmm Hey, uh, Don emailed with some thoughts. He emailed askadavxl.com with some thoughts on the Netflix password sharing crackdown. He says, every time I hear about a Netflix exec complaining about password sharing, I am reminded of this. And he linked to a TechCrunch article from 2016. Netflix CEO says account sharing is okay. Well, yeah. I mean, and one, it's, it's good for you to point this out, Don. Um, but that was also 2016, which was a long-ass time ago, to use highly technical language. And mm -hmm. times change, right? Uh, Netflix was growing like a weed. They were growing like a weed pretty much up until uh, last year, right? Um, they were short of their expected growth in Q4 2021. They only gained like 8.3 million subscribers. They forecast 8.5 million subscribers earlier in 2021. Uh, they forecast 6 million. They only gained 4 million. And, you know, that's a big deal 
for Netflix because Netflix is a publicly held company and publicly held companies get punished by Wall Street. Uh, Netflix has a ton of new competitors. They got Wall Street breathing down its neck. Uh, I'm not really super shocked that they're going after low-hanging fruit to generate revenue, i.e. folks that use the service that don't currently pay for it. Um, think about this, right? So there's Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, Disney+, Plus, Paramount+, Plus, Peacock, uh, and then two of, of Netflix's primary massive competitors, Amazon Prime Video and Apple TV Plus, um, right. those two companies, the video streaming business is like a side sell. It's that last rack of stuff before you pay for your groceries at the supermarket. You know, it's it's a little extra, it's a little extra revenue there. Um, and, you know, Netflix has to make money. They're like video drug dealers, really. I mean... <laughs> they don't care if they, at least initially, give it away. Who cares if people are cheating the system a little right. bit? It's just spreading the word like no tomorrow. And then yeah. when the time comes, yeah, you got to rein it back in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's, For and the it's money. crazy, right? Because Amazon Prime and Apple TV Plus, they have billions to invest in programming. But compared to their overall revenue, you know, the video businesses are just a tiny chunk of their business. Um I thought it was interesting. There's a company which I just found uh, last week called Parrot Analytics, and they're working to rate not just the viewership of a streaming program, but how likely it is to attract new subscribers to a service. Now, their tagline is, demand is the currency of the attention economy. They're generating data, they're, or they're analyzing data, and they're targeting everything from finance companies to talent agencies to production companies, studios, and the idea that they're trying to give information and tools to decision makers talent agencies can quote support casting decisions with empirical facts like look at all these people that signed up for this service after our star was in this show right acquire the best shows with the highest expected return on investment by leveraging global tv demand data studios can gain deep insights into target audiences character talent setting plot theme and genre preferences for global and local content which sounds kind of terrifying when you think like you know yeah, it's not a focus group. <laughs> it's deep insight. We figured um, it out. Yeah, well, it's like big data versus the Hollywood gut, yo. Um, right. I, I just was kind of nerding out on the idea that there's like a company now that is trying to figure out how to look at all of these sort of added value, you know, that a company can get if they have a hit show and people subscribe to it. I don't know. Those numbers are important. That would be useful information to have. I have no doubt that they are diving into that content. Yeah, Bridgerton just started up again on Netflix. And it's funny because one of the articles that talked about this, they talked about how Bridgerton was this, because it was this very racy costume drama and how it drove a whole bunch of new subscribers for Netflix, but it tapers off over time. And uh, the idea that they have to keep coming up with exciting new stuff to keep those numbers going up. So I, I totally understand. I, I'm, I'm sympathetic as much as I can be sympathetic to a giant global multinational corporation or a giant multinational global corporation or whatever I'm saying. But, you know, I, I think Netflix was really generous when they could afford to be generous with password sharing. And now that they need to make more money, they're, they're being less generous and they have this pilot program going down in South America. Uh, it'll be interesting to, to, to hear if we hear how those pilot programs fares, because if they are not successful in turning password shares into additional revenue. We'll probably never hear about those programs, those pilot programs again. Good point. We're going to talk a little bit next week about LUFs and some of the changes that are going on with uh, normalization of audio. 
and because uh, you were talking to me about that, and I got deep into a rabbit hole, deep into a rabbit hole on Spotify and how they basically set volume levels, and the, it's it's I can't even touch it right now because it's uh... well <laughs> Google L U F S and and enjoy the rabbit hole, and we'll get into that. Oh at my some goodness. Point. Uh, yeah, an email is askedavexl.com if you got a question for us. Well, it's interesting, right? Because it, it I'm gonna, I'm going to stop. We'll talk about this next week. <laughs> totally. I discovered it just as a new feature within Audacity, the latest versions of Audacity, and it, like I said, it it sent me right down the rabbit hole of, hey, where did this come from? Ooh, how neat. Anyway, so many specs, so many standards. Um, Oh, my goodness. Uh, tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AVXL if you got a question for us. Or just email us, ask at AVXL.com. If you're looking for a hashtag, hashtag AskAVXL works just fine. As always, we want to thank our patrons, patreon.com slash AVXL. Uh, the people who support us on Patreon make this podcast possible, and we appreciate that. So Yeah, we you. do. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. With that... We uh, we'll be back next week with a whole lot of stuff, including a conversation about luffs and measuring uh, measuring audio levels. And I'll try not to put everybody to sleep with that one. And hopefully, we'll have more information on the new 2022 OLED TVs and the new TVs that are coming out. And we will talk about anything you want us to talk about. And again, email us ask at avxl.com. We're 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 curious. Tell us what you want to hear about. Tell us what you want to hear about. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Yes. <laughs> I have my Sonos speakers arriving for my true 5.1 setup there. Ooh. And some of the initial reviews are coming out for the new 2022 Samsung 4K LCD TVs. And oh, nice. preview, they appear to be quite the awesome in terms of brightness and color and picture performance. And we'll dig into that some more as well. Tis the Next season, week. man. <laughs> <laughs> with that ladies and gentlemen i'm patrick norton i am robert aaron and we'll catch you next week on avxl <laughs>